I think there's the value in you honing your craft, sitting in the pain for long, and building what really you care about, even if you're not seeing the immediate results, because in the long term, that's definitely going to Sir, we recording? Yes, we are. I think so. Welcome back to the Tool for Rise podcast, where we document the rise and start of Winnipeg's talent and personalities. Welcome back to the number one podcast in Winnipeg. We got some crazy guests for you lined up, and especially today as well. Introduce us, man. Let's bring on our guest for today. He's a business coach who started multiple businesses. He's here to talk about how you can do it as well. Please welcome David Owasi. Let's go. Thank you, guys. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, David. Yeah. First of all, you look fresh. I've said yeah. it multiple <laughs> times, but I'm going to say it again. It's your kind, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> you look fresh. Yeah. I wish I looked that good, <laughs> but but we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, so you're a business coach. That's right. And we were looking through your profile like yesterday, and we're like, that's very interesting. Yeah. Because you coach people in business. What is your background in business that qualifies you as a business coach? Of course. So um, I was originally born in Nigeria, mm-hmm. came to Canada when I was 17, and I studied at the U of M, yeah. studying computer science and business. But then I've all, and the reason why I actually was interested in business was, and computer science combined was because, you know, my um, people I look up to were the Elon Musk and uh, the, uh, the Steve Jobs. So if you can combine business and technology, you could build monster things, right? Yeah. So that was kind of where I got started. But then I was very, very interested in getting some practical experience of business too. It's not just staying in class and listening to some boring old yeah. you know, professor <laughs> teach about business. I went to have real experience. So I started my first company, which was a, a very simple business really. It was a college pro franchise. We painted houses in the city. Mm-hmm. So that was where I really got my real exposure into business. And then it was I, I would, you know, in, those, in the winters, I would... Uh, go to homeowners, knock on their doors, ask for, hey, can I paint your house? Like, can I do an estimate for you? It was a very old-fashioned, traditional type of marketing. Mm-hmm. And then from there on in the summer, I would hire university students to go do those jobs. And I was able to, like, expand and expand and do almost, uh, you know, almost a million dollars in a couple of years in revenue from that business. So that was, like, my real introduction into business. And that was so good because I made so many mistakes. I yeah. screwed up so much, but I learned, too, everything from marketing, how to hire people, how to lead a crew, all of that fun stuff. And then from there on, I started to do a whole bunch of consulting. I, and I won some awards, and people were asking me, hey, how did you do that? How did you do that? And then I found myself coaching sort of without even knowing it. Yeah. And then I realized I was actually good at this, and I really enjoyed it, too, which is yeah. very, very crucial. And that was really how I got my start in business coaching. And then since then, I've run multiple businesses, but I still love coaching and working with one-on-one with entrepreneurs. And now my business has actually you know, evolved into more like an agency, a marketing agency, where I focus on lead generation. I found that when I coach people, they're like, okay, David, can you help me with the practical stuff? Like, how do I go out and get leads? And these days, you know, you're not knocking on doors anymore. That's really outdated. Mm-hmm. So it was actually a fun challenge for me to learn all the strategies to generate leads my own business and then teach it to my clients and I saw it really working and I'm like, well, this could be a service on its own where I'm able to leverage my time by actually helping people generate leads for their business. So those are the core of, of the things I do today. Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome though. Like, you know, like if you want to learn about business, you have to like step away from that classroom setting because like we have this joke that if you want to learn about marketing, you're not going to be taking a marketing class. You're going to be going out there and doing marketing. Mm. So I'm curious to see like, what was that learning curve for you like? Obviously, starting a business is like one of the hardest things you can do. So what was that initial step and how did you learn and continue to learn? Yeah, so, you know, absolutely. That's a very great question. And the interesting thing is that I, the, the advantage for me at the time was that there was nothing to lose, really. 
<laughs> like uh, the only thing I would lose was fail, and you know, fail. I was still living with my parents, so it couldn't get any worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, you're right. You know, taking action, imperfect actions, is really where you get to learn. And for me, I was very lucky that I, I surrounded myself with a lot of like-minded people who were willing to experiment, who were willing to learn, who were willing to try different things out. And those things really, really helped me. I learned um, the traditional ways of marketing, and then I evolved that learning into the more sophisticated tools. For example, like I said, we started out by knocking on doors. That was our old-fashioned marketing. I learned how to present myself elevator pitch in 30 seconds i probably did it like ten thousand times and that really really helped me hone my skill in marketing from presenting myself to a new person who i've never met before to you know getting people to buy into my idea and that is such a crucial skill that you don't even learn in classrooms by facing a real customer who doesn't really give a crap about you really all the kids and what's in it for them and being able to very very quickly articulate what's in it for them very quickly in 30 seconds and doing that ten thousand times Man, you're gonna go places if you learn skills like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, very, very helpful for me. But it's definitely like more of like repetition based, right? Like the more reps you get in, the more better you are. Because you're a well-spoken person now. But were you like this when you first started? Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> and then, so, how did you build on that, and how did you get better and better? Yeah. So when I came from Nigeria, I had a bit of a heavy accent. Some of my accents still there, which is perfectly makes me unique. If, if you yeah. will. Uh, that being said, though, I uh, a lot of coaching. So I, I surrounded myself with people who I wanted to learn from, who and people who I give the um, I, I give them the what's the right word here. Uh, I, I give them the ability to f- critique me and give me feedback. I actually welcomed and I asked for feedback every single time. So, for example, I would go do an estimate with a client, and I would have somebody who is more experienced come with me. And this person will sit through the estimates or the appointment with the clients. And then after they were taking notes and I'll give them the permission to give me all the feedback and critique. And even my girlfriend at the time or wife now, I would I would like have a listen to into my calls and I would like tell me, give me critique, like how, how can I become better? Yeah. And I also put myself in situations where, you know, I was uncomfortable. So for example, I would kind of find ways to get myself into debates or into like podcasts like this or situations where I'm speaking, I'm projecting my ideas. And in those situations, I also still welcome feedback. So again, just feedback, being vulnerable, being open to feedback and not taking it personally, but seeing it as an opportunity to grow and improve. And uh, the more you put yourself in situations where people can give you feedback and you really accept it and you try and improve on yourself, that makes such a difference over time. It doesn't feel very apparent from in day one, day two, but by day 100, by day 150, by day 3000, you start to like, oh, wow, I've come such a long way from how I, I present my ideas, from how I say things. And that makes such a difference over a long period of time. 100%, man. Like get, getting feedback, like is one of the c- crucial steps of life, right? Like, but it's like when you're always, for example, like, I don't know, um, you get feedback, but sometimes you're like, I did that right. Like, I know from my place it's coming from a good heart. So, like, there's always that moment, but then after you realize it's like, oh, that's what we were talking about. So, have you ever had that, like, realization? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the books I've been reading uh, a lot recently is uh, Atomic Habits yep. by uh, James Clare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very good book. Great. And it talks about you know, a couple of things. That's this feedback loop where you want to become something and you, you're not perfect at that thing you want to become yet. But there's this process of becoming by doing. Mm-hmm. And that process of becoming, so let's, let's give a, a more concrete example. So you want to become a better writer, for example. Like I'm trying to improve my writing skills and that's been one of my top skills this year that I'm working on. 
But you become a better writer by writing. Right. And you become a better writer by writing daily. And you become a better writer by having better writers critique your work and give you feedback so you can become a better writer. So there's always that feedback loop where you want to become something. So, for example, I know personally growing up that I wanted to become a great business person. I wanted to become a great salesperson, a great marketing person. But I knew that I didn't have all those skills. And relying on people to give me the feedback I needed to become that person that I had in my goal and then working on those skills daily myself, the combination of those things was really what helped me get there. And still getting there. Because we're not, qu- we're not quite there yeah. yet. <laughs> well, because you work on it every day, it, li- it gives you the chance to adapt as well, mm. right? Because you're saying that you used to do marketing door-to-door door no- knocking, but now m- most of the marketing is digital, mostly social media, the new apps, TikTok, mm. all of these short-form content. Mm. So what was your adaption like, and how how did you adapt to that? Like, yeah. it's a different world. Absolutely. Marketing two years ago is not the same now, even 10 years ago. Definitely. Lots of reading, that's for sure. So I am a big believer in just uh, stacking information. And But again, when you stack information, that is not enough. You need to be able to uh, use this information in a practical way and get some real-world feedback. And basically, some of the things I did was I started dabbling into content creation. I actually started my own podcast where I did about 35 to 40 straight episodes. And the reason was not for, you know, to be the next, you know, uh, Joe Rogan or anything. I know that's the goal here. Yes, sir. sir. (laughs) But the goal was to get myself into a position where I'm actually speaking to a mic and I'm vocalizing my ideas and I'm getting comfortable addressing an audience online. And when it comes to marketing and content creation, like that is very, very crucial, being able to be comfortable expressing yourself. So when I want to stack up on a skill, I'm more of an action person. I just do. And in doing, you're forced to learn. And in doing, you're almost making a commitment to the public that this is what I want to do. And by making that commitment, the public is holding you accountable. It's like building a company in public almost. And by that, you're forcing yourself to learn. You're forcing yourself to get feedback from other people who are listening to you. And I got so much feedback and I got a lot of good and positive and some negative feedback too. But all in all, you only get better by doing. And if marketing, you get better by doing. For example, I've been dabbling a lot with TikToks. I'm not very comfortable with the whole dancing thing. But I'm trying my head in producing content that's a little bit more different from like a straight up just talk to the mic kind of thing. Which has been a learning curve for me, but you know, I actually produced a content yesterday, which was very, very different from what I would normally do. Yeah. But all of those things, putting yourself in situations where you can be uncomfortable, really, really makes a difference for you. That's the important, right? Like most people don't start businesses because they're so overwhelmed by the idea of just like, oh, what is the public going to think? Like, I'm not comfortable doing this and that. The most important thing is just do it, right? I love, th- I love the way you said that. So, how did you? end up starting your own business like i know people say always a lot of hard work but like like steps wise so like how did you start that first business in university you're a computer science student Mm. it's tough i've taken coding classes (laughs) it's not fun like python was one of the hardest courses i've taken Mm -hmm. but how did you start that business yeah so just kind of think more from a philosophical point of view when you're looking to start a business you want to think about three things the first thing you want to think about is accountability and accountability is having some skin in the game. Yeah. It's being able to put your hands up and be like, I will take responsibility and ownership for this. And for my business of painting houses, it was like, I'm going to make your house beautiful so that when you want to sell it, it's going to be looking great from the curb. And or, or just you know, for, for the pride in the neighborhood, I'm the guy to do that for you. So you need accountability in whatever business you want to do. Mm-hmm. You can't hide behind something. You have to be able to put your name behind your work. So that's very, very crucial. 
And then once you have the accountability figured out and you're willing to take that risk and put your, I mean, there's only so much that can go wrong, but you need to be able to put your name out there. That's the first. Second thing is you need to have leverage. And leverage is a way of being able to scale whatever effort you're putting into the business. And there are four levers of leverage. So the first one is code using technology to scale your enterprise. And why code is important is because whether it's one person or 10 people or 15,000 or a million people using it, you write the code once and then you can leverage that code. So you need to find a way to leverage whatever it is you're trying to build. So one, one way is code. Second way is social media. So like this podcast, it doesn't matter if 100 people are listening to it or 1 billion people, we're not doing any more work. So social media is a great way of leveraging your uh, your business and then the third way to leverage your business is labor so hiring people to do work for you now you can duplicate yourself and you can have many people doing stuff for you and then the fourth way is capital by raising money now that's very hard but if you can raise money well they say money makes you more money right so you can use money to duplicate your efforts so you so finding a combination of those four things is going to make your business scale so you number one you have accountability you have some skin in the game you you're making a bold big promise to a customer by solving a specific problem then you are finding a way to leverage those skills that you have through um, code, through capital, through labor, and through uh, social media. And then the last thing is, is judgment. So being able to make the right decision at the right time. Who do I bring on as a partner? Who do I hire? Where do I go find help? Who do I, uh, who do I work with? Who do I partner with? And that comes over time. But those three things are what you need to be combining to really be able to build a successful business. You need to find something you can put your name behind, find a way to scale that thing, and then make the right decision in the tough moments. And that's how I would think about starting a business. A little kind of high level, but I hope that helps. That's actually very informative because, yeah. you know, some t- like we, we're dabbling into business. We're, we're not business experts as yourself, but we kind of did those things just like without actually laying them out, sort of, as in like it just happened naturally. It, had we had a coach, it would have been <laughs> maybe more more effective. But I... Sometimes when we look at businesses, like you mentioned Elon Musk and those guys um, earlier, you look at where they are now, right? You see that, oh, they're worth $200 billion. Oh, my God, I want to be that. But sometimes the hardest thing is the first sale. And people give up before they even start because they're like, I thought I was going to make $200 billion tomorrow. Yeah. But, man, I, like nobody's viewed my thing. No one's clicked on the thing. So what is like, let's say it's like a, similar to like if it's a service business, right? Like you're offering a service. What is something they can do with no like skin in the game, with nothing? How can someone just make that first sale? Because I'm sure after that it snowballs. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's sort of a framework I, I use to think about that. And I call it the 3P framework. Okay. And the first P is you need to, f- for starters, start working on something you're passionate about. Right. And the reason why is because... For example, this podcast, I can tell you guys are very passionate about this. Whether you make money from it or you don't make money from it, you're clearly having tons of fun. And it's very, very crucial that whatever it is you decide to dabble into in business, that you actually enjoy and love it. And if no one is paying you for it, you will still do it. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that is crucial is because you'll be able to outwork anybody because you love this thing anyways. So that's a first lever. You need to be able to be passionate about this thing. And then the second thing is you need to be able to connect that passion to a problem. So, for example, in this case here, the passion is content creation. It's interviewing people, the talent in Winnipeg. But if you're able to connect that to a specific problem I have, which is maybe exposure of your business to the bigger public, which is marketing, or finding a way to connect, say you are maybe a writer, connecting 
writing to copywriting, which is writing copy to promote your business. Now you're connecting your passion to a specific problem someone has. So once you're able to find a problem that connects what you're passionate about, then you're really, you know, you have someone you can sell something to. And you enjoy doing that thing anyway, so it's not going to be any extra work. So that second thing is, is problem. And the last lever of the P is perspective. So you have your own personal history experience, how you see the world, how you see things. And if you're able to connect your own personal history to the passion and the problem, now you have a very unique solution that is specific to you that no one else can can offer. And then that's the basic combination of product that someone will pay money to you for. And a good example is this. Again, I'll, I'll use the example of writing. So maybe I've been writing about, I don't know, romance. So I've been writing about, say, uh, business topics, right? And I'm very passionate about that. And I'm able to then connect my writing to a specific problem by writing a copy that you can use on your ads or on your website. And then because of my own personal history, writing books or writing blogs or whatever, I have my own interesting way I've learned how to write that no one can write the way I write. And you know that's very, very unique, right? then you can package that as a solution and say, we'll write copy for your website that will convert. And then you can say, I've been writing for 10 years now or five years now. And my combination of all those three things is able to then create a business or a solution to a problem that a client has using my own specific approach and using my own specific way of doing things that will definitely help you solve a specific problem. So connecting problem as passion to a problem and then using your own perspective, that is how you build a business that you can start charging money for. That's that awesome. Help? Yeah, that, that's, 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 a, that's actually a good way to think about it, you know? Because yeah. you're right, we do love doing this. <laughs> and this is amazing. Whether we make money from it or not, yeah. like, we love doing this. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I assume you're the same way in terms of your business. You love coaching people. You love doing those things. But as everyone knows, there's high moments and then there's low moments. Did you have any of those low moments? And then how do you combat those? Like, what if you don't get sales for six months in a row or a couple months in a row or nobody or people are coming, but they're not converting? Absolutely. So then how do you deal with that either both mentally and then actually changing that? Yeah. So before I actually started this uh, coaching business properly, so I used to like just do it as a side gig in the past. I was Mm -hmm. actually working for uh, a recruiting firm. I was a consultant helping them hire, you know, uh, accountants, CFOs, all kinds of accountants for companies here in Winnipeg. And then the pandemic hit and I lost that job. And then I have you know, a family to take care of. Like I have a, a you know, two-year-old boy now and um, I was out of a job and then I was like, okay, I'm going to start this business. And then, okay, I wanted to do this seriously, but no leads were coming in, no revenue were coming in. And it was like a couple months in, I was struggling. And I think for me, what kept me going was know um relying on the experience i had in my first company and it's always very important that you're able to rely on old experiences to project you even forward into the future and in my first company i remember that i struggled a lot to find my first clients it took me actually three months before i found my first painting contract Mm -hmm. for my business and i remember that i knocked on hundreds and hundreds of doors but i was just something was just not clicking until it didn't click and then everything started to just fall into place so that was so helpful to have that experience when I started this new company because I struggled to generate my first clients in the first couple of months. I was spending a whole bunch of money, you know, paying all of this for all the services to get this business going, but the results were not coming in. So a lot of perseverance was very much needed and patience, very patience. I think sometimes we're always rushing. We're always rushing the process and we're not patient enough to know that it's okay if you're not seeing results right now. And it stacks over time. Just like when you go to the gym, 
and you're trying to bulk up. I know you were talking about yeah. bulking up. Yes, sir. You know, the first day, the first week, you're not seeing nothing, right? It doesn't mean nothing is happening, but it stacks up over time. And in James Clare's book, uh, Atomic Habits, it talks about how those atomic little small efforts over time significantly adds up. Mm-hmm. And it talked about how if you put in one F 1% effort every day of the year and you total up that effort, it's going to add up to almost like 30% in combined efforts by the year's turn. And that's really what it's all about. It's the day-to-day. It's the small processes. It's this, uh, you know, one day at a time, what are the activities I need to do to move to my goal and focusing on those things you can control. We can focus on things that are outside our control. And then when you do that, results start to come in inevitably because with enough passion, connecting that to a problem, and with enough activities that are you know, moving the needle, eventually just a matter of time so sometimes we miss it in a patient angle you have to be patient as well and that's what i did and then eventually i figured it out and my business started to grow really well so it's been a very interesting journey for sure yeah a, a lot of people don't like take that process like the process of building a business the process of staying up till like two o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. working on a business while you work at like 8 a.m the next day right people don't believe in that process now because we have p- apps like TikToks where you see, for example, like the island boards. We didn't know who they were. Mm. They're blown up now, right? So uh, I'm curious to see, like, from your perspective, do you think it's the short-term game? For example, like, oh, you blow up on TikTok one day, you get that bag? Or is it more about having longevity in your business? Yeah, so it really depends on what you're trying to accomplish. I'm always in the in the believer for the long term. Like the long term always wins. If you follow Gary V, he preaches about this a lot. He yeah. talks about the long term. Uh, the short term, if if that's what you're looking for, I mean, then that's okay. But if you're looking for some long term success, and long term success means you no, know, you're able to capitalize on whether it's your your skill set that you've honed over the years, or your audience that you've really built over the years, or uh, a business that you've learned very well then the long term is always going to win over the short term. I'm, a, I'm always a believer in the long term. And Gary Vee always talks about how you know, we're young, we always yeah. have time, and that's one of the things he's always big on. I mean, I'm 27, I believe I have time. You guys are still in your early 20s, you see you got lots of time. So it's very easy in this age to see people blow up on, on, on social media and be jealous and feel like, oh, I want that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's good for them. It doesn't mean that's good for you. I think there's the value in you honing your craft, sitting in the pain for long, and building what really you care about, even if you're not seeing the immediate results, because in the long term, that's definitely going to reward you in the long term. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look at you know, famous athletes, you know, the LeBron James and, and the Cole Bryant, those guys didn't just start balling you know, when you found them. They've been balling for like since they were small, like since they were yeah. five, six. And they, they built that skill up to they were 18, 19, 20, and then they started to then see all their words. And then we celebrate them as, oh, these are the big stars. You know, we look at someone like Drake as well. I mean, he's been writing music for like years and years. So the real gamers or the real success stories are not people who just come from nowhere. No, they've been doing this thing for a long time and you only see them when they've actually started to become big, but they've put in that work day in, day out, day in, day out, just like an iceberg, right? You see the tip right above the water. But if you look below, there's so much going on down there. I think people have to focus and remember that if you want to be a success like that too, it doesn't start, you know, you don't become a success tomorrow. And if anything, even if you blow up very quickly and you're not ready, it turns into self-destruction because you've not built all the habits and all the steps you need to maintain that level of, 
of productivity and output. You need to hone that over years. And when you do that, that's when success is very much long-lasting because you've built all the required skills to keep and maintain that success. That's why Drake can keep putting hit after hit after hit because he knows the process of grinding out an album because he's done it so many times. And that's why the famous ballers, you know, the... Um, uh, the basketball players. I'm not a soccer fan, but yes. uh, for reference, yeah, I'm using basketball. But that's why they keep producing because they learn the habits. Wake up, the Michael Jordans, right? They wake up, they go to the gym, they work out every day, every day, every day. And excellence for them is an everyday process. And you only get to see the reward when they're out on the courts. And, you know, that's when the, 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 the fans and everyone is kind of celebrating them. But the real work is really what they've been doing in the background, in the shadows. And the same thing applies to entrepreneurship as yeah. well. I agree. I personally think it's honestly better to like not blow up right away because even if you look at some artists, like, you know, some artists, one song goes hit and then they're still chasing that. And, but they're like you said, they haven't put in that work. They haven't figured out the recipe to like actually create that, which is very interesting in like my, like in the, in the world we live in, especially in content, because you'll see like peers go, you know, Oh, I got a million views, but Mm. what do you do with those million views? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, okay, you got a million views now, but what do you do? Like, do you push them to a product? Do you push them to your website, email list, or tomorrow there's not because it's an attention game at the end. Exactly. Right. So in terms of your business or when you coach people, how do you focus on like the attention aspect? Right. You know, attention's getting smaller and smaller by the day, especially with younger folks um, like our our age or even younger. Right. Right. So how do you get the attention that you need? Right. So I always uh, took, Sort of like two, two answers. Um, the first one is, you know, in the practical sense, is having the foundations to get your business ready for success mm-hmm. because uh, you're only as ready. Success comes, success is when uh, preparation meets opportunity. Yeah, I was going right? to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So w- we always want to make sure that we're prepared so that when success comes and it looks like luck, it's not luck because we've done our hard work. And this, you know, starts from, and in my, with my clients, this is what we do. We start out with a foundation. Number one, we want to make sure that we have our positioning rights. So who exactly is our ideal co- client, uh, ideal customer? Who is that one person? Can we define them to the very T such that when we talk about them, they're like, yeah, that's me. You know, We want to make sure we do that work. And then number two is we want to define the specific problem they have and don't want. And we want to define the specific solution they're looking for but don't have. And we want to define the headache we're helping them avoid using our solution. And then once we've done that work, we don't want to build an offer that really, really makes them happy. And when I talk about offers, there are two types of offer. There's a vitamin offer and there's a painkiller offer. So a vitamin offer is like, ah, oh, yeah, have your vitamins. Sure, but I'm yeah. not going to die if I don't have my vitamins, right? And a lot of businesses, they have offers like that. And a painkiller offer is like, I'm having a big migraine right now. I'll pay you whatever amount of money I need to, to get this problem off of me. And we want, we, so what I do is I help my clients help move their offer from a vitamin solution, which is like, eh, whatever, to uh, yes, this is the real problem for me. And then once we've built that offer, then the next thing is we need to have a way of then nurturing people who come to us. So if someone through our position and say, you know, that's me you're talking about, and then through the offer, they're like, yeah, that's a big headache you're solving for me, but I'm not ready to do business yet. I don't trust you yet. I don't like you yet, blah, blah, blah. That's which is completely fine. We need to have a way to like nurture them, to get them to know us. That's where content creation comes in. That's where having a funnel comes in. That's where email marketing comes in. So we create a funnel and a pipeline where we can able to bring them in at the top of a funnel, and then nurture them, warm them up to do business with us. And then beyond that, we then need a, a tight sales process. So whether that's you, know, you having a tight sales script, 
or having like a tight copying your sales uh, outreach to them so that you can then convert them into customers. And then beyond that, once you be able to convert them into provide a world-class experience because that's how they'll come back to become repeat customers and that's how they'll tell their friends and family about you. And once you do all of those things in the background, then we can then go crazy on the leads part because now we know that if we bring them in, we have all the sequences and all the steps built to get them from code to raving fans. And then we can you know, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. So that's basically what I built from my clients. And then, of course, at the top of it, you always see oh, lead gen, lead gen, lead gen. But before we go on top of all those lead gen, we make sure that we have all of those work in the background figured out. And then we can go hard on lead gen. We can do everything from Facebook ads to TikTok ads to organic campaigns. And recently, I do a lot of LinkedIn campaigns, which have been working very, very well. And, of course, we do cold email campaigns as well, which has been very, very, very good as well. And even texting campaigns. So lots of outreach and marketing. That's actually the easy part. The hard part is when you bring them in, okay, how do you then convert them into a paying customer mm-hmm. from them not knowing you? One, one question that we've asked, um, like we've had social media marketers on the show as well, the difference between organic and inorganic, you could say, like advertising, Paid, yeah. what, I- what would you say you value more, like in terms of actually building a sustainable audience? Right. So you in this day and age, you need a combination of both, right? You would be responsible to say one is better over the other. Mm-hmm. But I would say you want to start out with organic first. And the reason why you want to start out with organic is, number one, you know, you're not spending too much money. Mm-hmm. And number two, uh, a lot of new business owners don't really have that budget to begin with. But organic helps you to learn also. It helps you to learn who your ideal audience is. It helps you to learn what your problems are. It helps you to tweak, test different things without having to pay expensively to learn those things. Mm-hmm. And what I do for my clients is that we start out with the organic, we start out with cold emails, we start out with LinkedIn marketing, we start out with organic uh, content. And then once we learn all the ins and outs of ideal clients and we understand exactly how we can help them and we see some success, then we can then scale that. Remember I talked about leverage? We can then leverage all the things we've learned using technology and social media. Of, of course, you know, uh, paid ads being one of those. But you now know that all these things are tried and tested in the organic world already. And if we double down on it by paying, the risk is less because we've tied, tried and tested it. Where a lot of people make mistakes is they go right into testing things mm-hmm. on paid, which is fine if you have the money. I mean, go ahead. <laughs> Facebook will happily take your money. Yeah. But for a lot of people who don't have money, that can become very expensive very, very quickly. And then they get no result and they think everything doesn't work because all they did was just, you know, they, they were trying to learn while paying for it, which is a very expensive way to learn. You know, people can listen to this audio and they can write down notes while they're listening to it. But then when they go and apply it, they have no idea. Mm. So my goal for this episode when I heard we're bringing on a coach, uh, like a, a business coach, was to get a solid example. Mm. So if, if, if you will, let's, let's build an example right now. Mm. For example, you want to start a clothing company. Right. Let's lay out the foundation for the, for the viewers and the listeners out there. How do you start that? Okay. What would be step number one? Good question. So number one, you need to understand why am I even starting this in the first place, right? Am I trying to make a, a statement, a political statement, uh, a cultural statement? Like what am I trying to do, right? Mm-hmm. You need to understand that, uh, number one. And then once you understand why you're trying to do it, then that make helps you understand your positioning. So how am I going to, like who are my ideal audience? Who's my niche? Are they like, you know, young university students? Are they high school students? Are they old, older people? Like are they sports fanatics? Like who are those kind of people? You need to be able to clearly understand those people. And they need to be able to understand how your message will help them either solve a problem or achieve some sort of solution. Solve a problem means like, well, just literally going to put clothes on your back or we're going to bring you, help you dress more formally or whatever. Or solution means we're going to help you feel hip. 
They're going to help you feel more culturally relevant. Or they're right. going to help you feel like you belong to this clique of people. So you need to be able to find all of that as a positioning. And then once you've done that, they need to find uh, you know, a great product. So how do you source your products? So whether you're doing you know, drop shipping or whether you like you need to figure out a way to actually then get the actual products. And then once you've done that, then you need to find a way to then spread your message, right? And that's where social media will come in, right? You, you have to be able to then articulate all of those things you've done in the foundation, who you're speaking to, what message you're trying to pass across, and what outcome you're trying to help them understand. You need to be able to articulate all of those things in social media, and that's the organic game. And then you're trying and testing. You're seeing how people are reacting to whatever it is you're saying. And then once you find the right fits, where you're like, okay, people are actually resonating with this message. They want to be more cultural. They want to be more hip, or they just want to look more corporate and more professional. Then the question is, how can I scale that up now? And then there are a lot of ways you can scale that up. Of course, you can do a lot of joint venture partnerships where you go partner up with other businesses who are not direct competitors to you, but who serve that same ideal customer that you serve. And then you're like, okay, how can I tap into your customers, but you also get something for it? So, for example, like you know, if you go to a Starb- if you go to a bookstore, you will see a Starbucks shop there because people who like to read they like to drink Starbucks as well. But yeah. they're not direct competitors, but they kind of harmonize with each other. So you want to find those kind of partnerships to have for your cl- for your clothing line. Mm-hmm. And then once you've done that, then that you're starting to then you know, have a lot more customers because you're buying into other people's audience and not just relying on the audience you're trying to build, you're buying into other people's audience. And then, of course, you want to have all of those conversion techniques in the background. So you know, if they come in as a lead, uh, you know, do you have a way to nurture them? Do you have a way to like, get them to be warm? All of that fun stuff that we discussed earlier. And after that, after you've started to get some success and some traction, and the question is how do you scale this more significantly, that's where paid ads will then come into play. And then you can then go hard on paid ads based on all the revenue you've already collected by those partnerships. What I find that joint venture partnerships, especially for like a clothing line, is one of the fastest ways you can grow because you're just boring other people's audience, really. And you're adding value to their audience through your own products. And maybe you might lose a few bucks here and there doing that kind of partnership, but you're getting the traction you need, which is really, really crucial for you to scale up very, very quickly. Very is, that project, is that helpful? Yeah, yeah, yeah. very informative. Yeah. Very yeah. informative. Wow. Oh, okay, well, it's 2022, mm-hmm. right? And people are going to watch this 2022, 23, around this area. What do you think is the best business to start these days, right? Because people will say, oh, certain markets are too saturated. Mm. Oh, I can't do that. There's too many people in there. Mm. Uh, that does, that's old-fashioned. Nobody wants to read a newspaper anymore. Right. I can't start a newspaper brand. Right. Right. So in 2022 or 2023, what's the best business to start, especially with this whole crypto world and all these NFTs? And I'm sure you're a little bit familiar with those or yeah. a lot familiar with those. Mm. So what's the best business to start? for? Any someone? business, really. Any? Any business. And because and the reason why I say any business is because today the barrier for entering the business world is, is reduced dramatically, which is great because what I mean by that is, you know, 40, 50 years ago, if you want to start a business, you need a lot of money, lots of investments, and there's just so many barriers to start a business. But right now with social media, you can literally start anything you want. That is why it defaults to those 3P framework I talked about, the passion. you got to be very interested in this business for starters because no matter how smart you are, it's not going to take off right away, mm-hmm. except maybe you're Elon Musk or something. <laughs> <laughs> but there's always going to be that learning period where you are still figuring things out and it's not working. And it's the passion that keeps you going at that point. And then you have to link that passion to a problem. And then once you link it to a problem, you have to have, add your own personal perspective. Yeah. So it's a combination of all of those three things. So it doesn't matter what the business is. No one can be more you than you. And if you can find a way to fuse your passion. So if you're interested in coding, great. Then go do something in that, in that line. If you're interested in clothing, right, uh, or in shoes, like, 
doesn't matter what it is. Right now, the opportunities are there for us to scale, which is social media. Anyone can hear your message. Whether it's you know finding the right people in, it, it could literally be anywhere in the world. You have access to a few billion people. So it doesn't matter what a business you're trying to do is. There's someone out there who needs it, who wants to hear your voice. So I wouldn't worry more about what business to start as opposed to, um, you know, how do I want to feel about this business? Is this something I'm passionate about? Why am I doing this? Is this something because I, I would do this even if I was paid for it or not paid for it? And I think that's where the source of real, real solid businesses are from. So it doesn't matter what it is because, you know, there's such a global audience that there's someone out there who wants what you offer. It's just a matter of finding them and speaking to them. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. Mm-hmm. What about what about the whole crypto world? Yeah. yeah right? That's, like that's and, and that being business. Like we've seen some real estate now mm. being sold in the metaverse for six hundred some thousand dollars. Right. Yeah. So adapting like a traditional business that it works now, how would that work in the future? Yeah. So you know one of the things the way I look at crypto is I look at it from a philosophical point of view as a shift. So um so imagine, you know, a hundred years ago maybe more than 100 years ago, we were in the age of, um, uh, so like, well, some people call it oligarchs, but that's not really, we call it the monarchy, right? Mm-hmm. So in the monarchy, in times of monarchy, you had the kings and the queens, they have control over everything, and then the rest of the population, well, were just dead. They did not have any control. And right now, that is what social media is right now. So we call it Web 2.0. So you have your Facebook, the Googles of the world, and all those big tech companies. They have a, a centralized storage, so they control everything. And they make all the money, and we do not. So they make money through ads. They make money by having you create content and people being watching that content. And then, of course, they put in the ads in the middle of all that. That's how they make money. And the problem with that approach is that it's very one-sided. Only one party is benefiting from this partnership, from this network. We are not benefiting from it. I don't see Facebook paying me mm-hmm. for creating content. Um, now, of course, there's like YouTube that does that a little bit, but for the most part, that's what Web 2.0 is doing. Web 3.0, what Web 3.0 is doing is, is decentralizing that control. Instead of one centralized party having all that control, is basically giving control to everybody. So see it as we're going from monarchy to democracy. We're instead of a king and a queen, having all this control. Now we can all come together and say, you know what, this is our shared value. This is how we're going to allocate resources. This is how we're going to allocate rewards. And that is one of the very big, powerful nature of this crypto world. So of course the cryptocurrency is what's making all the noise right now. And I think we're in this phase, if you look at the, you know, um, the, the, the dot-com bubble, we're sort of in that sort of bubble right now where everybody is like, oh, this is amazing. We're going to like create this new coin. We're going to do all these crazy things. Some of these coins will stay. Some of these NFTs will stay. But a lot of these projects will actually go to zero. What I'm also interested in is the underlying technology at a at um, uh, sort of a, a basic level, which is how are we going to share control amongst everybody and have everybody else have more equal access to this new opportunity. And so if you're interested in how this could be a source of revenue, a source of a new business, you have to think about it in those terms. Is now control is being shared and equalized. How can I take advantage of that for my business? How can I use these to take advantage? So, for example, you know, the way to look at this more practically would be NFTs, for example. One of the ideas I've been throwing around is NFTs as a receipt for a business owner. Yeah. So if you find a way to have an NFT as a receipt to show proof, but also to show exclusivity or to show or to offer like different types of features for, hey, you know, you buy this NFT, so you know you buy my product and I'll give you an NFT and you can have different types of rarity of this NFTs you're getting as, as a receipt, which could be a collectible in the future 
or it could be a, a, a proof of ownership of my products in the future because it's digital, so the blockchain, it's, you can't delete it, you can't lose it. There's so many benefits here. And the idea is, again, you're having people being able to share more in your product and being a fan of yours. And that's just a, a very, very different way to look at business as opposed to being very centralized where you have all the control and no one else has any, you know, any say. But uh, that's how I think about NFTs and crypto. It's we're moving from a monarchy to democracy. And that is very, very powerful. That, that is very powerful because I've never heard that before, right? Like, yeah. like uh, people are like, oh, crypto, you just got to go into it. Like, uh, you, you're going to make money no matter what. Yeah. And I'm like, are you really sure you're going to make money? Like, there's a lot of cryptos out there. Like, I got DMs every day saying, oh, you should join my, you should join my NFT, you should join my Discord. But do you really think that's the future? Like, do you think the digital world will surpass our reality of what life is like i could put on a pair of goggles or something and i could have the best life ever and then when i take those off i'm sitting in the present moment do you think that would ever be a reality i think that's where we're going if if if, if we're not there already i mean think about think about this you see how pe- some people uh, a lot of people i know maybe even myself sometimes when I'm going on my uh, on you know, online, uh, when I'm doing an Instagram live, or when I'm creating, creating content, and I'm dressing so well, I'm <laughs> like you know all in my fancy suits, and and then when I go to the grocery store, I just dress like whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't imagine that. I, no. <laughs> I can't imagine you walking around in sweats. Not gonna lie. <laughs> but that's the reality, and that's you know when we talk about uh, having um, the the metaverse. That's what is what the metaverse is. Is you know our digital lives taking more and more. Uh, where things matter more in our digital lives than in our actual real lives. And unfortunately, that's just the reality of how things are going. So I see that as a trend, and that's only going to accelerate even more. The pandemic has made that even more so. Right. With you know, work from home now being the norm. I mean, I've been working from home for the last two years now. And a lot of people who build their reputation or talk about their branding or their product, do all of that stuff online. That's how they actually make their living. So they consider their online lives to be way, way more important. They have to make up the appearances, which, you know, there's a whole downside to that. But they have to keep up all that appearances online. And then their real world, their normal life is like, eh, whatever. You know, I don't care if someone doesn't see me with my makeup on or if I don't, someone doesn't see me with my suit on. And, and that's just basically the way the world is going to move forward in the future. Digital is going to be the, the new king, and everything is going to go digital as well. I mean, I've been playing around with uh, a business idea I'm working on in the crypto world about digital records. For example, imagine if medical records are now online, or you go to your chiropractor, and your chiropractor now, you ha- they have all the records of everything for you online, and there's a sort of a way to access it through tokens where... Um, you decide to go to an dentist or a chiropractor, and instead of them going to your original chiropractor to get all of that information, they can then just use this digitized access to records to just say, oh, yeah, now I have access, now I have access, now I have access. So everything from IDs to records to all sorts of information is going digital, and that's the way of the world, and that's the metaverse, and all of that stuff is going to keep going even more accelerated in the next couple of years. I'm excited for it. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, we're living in we're living in that world, so why not? You know, (laughs) why not in the future? That's for sure. Exactly. As far as like, you know, advice goes, Mm -hmm. right? I know you give a lot out, (laughs) (laughs) and all the stuff you're saying is very informative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But and we we've got what's some someone most of our audience is you know a little younger. We do have an older audience as well. But as let's say someone our age. You know, what advice would you give us? Yeah, for sure. So um, I, I will repeat some of the things I've said because yeah. sometimes uh, y- the repetition sure. demands yeah. emphasis, right? right? 
And I'll give like two advices. I like advices. Yeah, <laughs> love that. So the first one is for success. You no, know, it's built on three tripods, right? And we talked about accountability. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's very crucial that you learn accountability, and that's having some skin in the game. You always gotta have skin in the game. You have to put your name behind whatever it is you're doing if you want to be successful. Now you will fail sometimes, and that's just part of the experience, and that's very normal. I failed. Everyone who's great has failed. But you need to have some accountability in whatever business venture or whatever it is you're trying to do in your career. Put your name behind it. Create a create a post. Create a blog that says, "This is me. This is who I am. This is what I stand for." Always be willing to do that because the upsides are that if you make the right call, you you make the right impression, that could lead to some amazing opportunities. Now the downside is, of course, you know you could get some flack, you get some hate, but that's part of the that's part of it as well. So that's the first. Second thing is you need to find ways to scale and leverage. And remember, I talked about those four levers of leverage. Code, technology, always very powerful. So if you don't learn, if you don't know how to code, that's okay. But be comfortable or find friends that can code or know people who can code for you and get your ideas into code because that's a huge leverage. Second one is, of course, social media. That's an easy part. Everyone is on social media. Learn to use social media. Your phone is the most powerful device ever. Learn to use it for business, to propagate your ideas, to connect, to network, to meet new people. And then the third thing is, of course, uh, labor. Find ways to delegate things. You don't have to do everything. And I know you don't, you might, you might think, oh, yeah, no, I'm, a, I'm not a big entrepreneur yet. You know, I, I can't hire someone. But you have to act like an entrepreneur. You have to act like someone who is big, and that will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if you want to be, you know, for example, I have someone I have hired to do some of my content work for me because I just believe that I am that person who would delegate my content, my posts and all that stuff to somebody. And you need to think of yourself like that. I mean, James Clear's, uh, you know, um, habits, uh, atomic habits, it talked about being this person you want to become by doing those small things every day and acting like somebody who is successful inevitably will lead to success. So uh, using labels to scale is also crucial. And then, of course, capital, finding money. And that could be that can probably be out of reach for some people for now, and that's completely okay. But finding ways to know people who have access to capital through networking, always powerful. And then, of course, the last thing is then judgment. And judgment is where you rely on mentors. You rely on experts. You listen to all types of advice. You read a lot of books. And judgment is more of a, it's a nuanced journey because you all, the more you know, the more experiences you have, the better your judgment will be. And this is why CEOs get paid a lot. Mm-hmm. They get paid for their judgment. Because if you're a CEO and, you, and they, they, you know, you're managing a $100 million asset and you make a decision that is 10% right, that $100 million could mean $50 million more. And that is where honing your judgments by having the right experiences and the right mentorship is very, very crucial. So that's one part of it. Having those three uh, stands is really crucial for business. Now, when it comes to more personal side, I talked about the 3P framework. And the, thir- the first P is, you know, having a passion. So whatever it is you're working on, you've got to be passionate about that. Otherwise, you just fall off and you, you, you just flake off because you're not really that passionate about it. As you can clearly tell, I'm very passionate about business. I can talk about business all day and marketing all day. That's my bread and butter. Even if I'm not getting paid for it, I'm going to keep reading about it. I'm going to keep being obsessed about it. And then the second thing is be able to convert your, pro- your passion into a problem for a real person. Otherwise, you're just making noise. Right. Everyone is always thinking, what's in it for me? You have to be able to clearly answer that question. This is what's in it for you. This is how my passion can help you solve a real problem and make your life a little bit better. And that is always very powerful. 
And then the last piece, your perspective as well. You always have your own way of doing things, your own talent, your own history. You have to be able to connect your passion and a problem and infuse your own personal magic in there. Because that's what makes it unique. It's what makes it not duplicable. And once you are able to be original and authentic, because that's part of authenticity, then you have a big, big magic that no one else can replicate. And those are the keys to success. Wow. Wow. I like that. I, I, w- I have one more question for you. Yeah. Um, what are some of your goals, like personally, yeah. right? Like, are you the, are we sitting amongst the next Elon Musk? <laughs> like, I, 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 I want to know. Yeah. Like, what are some of your goals and where do you see yourself in, in the like, next coming years? You're too kind, my friend. You know, <laughs> I have some big goals though, man. And uh, sometimes I tell my friends about my goals and they'll laugh. But my, my ultimate goal is, is space mining, man. Space nice. mining. I'm, I'm of the belief that um, we can find resources that will benefit Earth out in space. 100%. Um, sorry? Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So have, have you seen the show? Um, it's called again. So is this true about space? Uh, uh, and basically the idea is that, you know, th- there are resources out there, in the minerals out there, in the, the Milky Way, in the galaxy, all over there. And I believe that there are ways that we can go out there and mine those, those materials and bring them back to Earth. But that's like a long, long-term goal. My short-term goals, though, is I'm working on building companies in the crypto space. I believe that that will be very, very key. And, of course, right now, my immediate, what I'm doing immediately right now is, of course, uh, working with small business owners and service-based businesses to help them grow. But I believe that the crypto space is going to be where I get a lot of leverage because uh, if you build, and that's what I'm working on right now, the coding part, if you build the coding, uh, one of my companies right now is going gonna, is gonna to be a tool to help anyone create an NFT or to create um, a token without having to write code. So that's uh, going to be an interesting tool that I'm, I'm working on. And of course, I'm also very much interested in digital records and using tokenized access to those digital records. I think that's also going to be crucial. But in the long term, when I think about, you know, when I document and I, I write this not 10, 15, 20 year goals for myself, yeah. I think space mining is uh, is really weird with things at. And that's sort of what I have my, my eyes fixed on. So you're literally quite figuratively going to be the next Elon Musk. Well, <laughs> he's going to be the first David Award. <laughs> 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 right. Well, uh, I, that's that's the goal. You know, you, yeah. you, you got to dream big or, or, or go home. I you know there's something I always think about. It's like, for you to be successful, whether you're running a small grocery store or, the way you're, or whether you're running a $100 billion corporation, you're not working any less, really. Like, the person who's working at a grocery store and doing eight, ten, even sometimes even thirteen hours, they're not working any less than someone who's running a hundred billion dollar empire, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. They're just working as hard, right. except that their scale is much smaller. Except that the the leverage they have is much smaller when you're running a grocery store company compared to a hundred billion dollar enterprise. So for me, it's like I'm gonna work hard. I'm gonna go into that pain. So if I'm going to go into that pain, I might as well go into the pain for something that is so big and audacious. Yeah, <laughs> because not? I'm not going to yeah. work any less harder if I do something small. If, I, if you run a small company, it's not any less work than someone running a big company. And that's kind of how I, I, I look at the world is dream big. And, you know, sometimes you will fail and that's part of the process. But you got to dream big first and then success will follow. And if people don't laugh at your ideas, then your your idea is not right. Exactly. It's not big enough. Yeah, not it's not big enough. It's not big enough. Exactly. Yeah. Keep dreaming, keep growing, keep rising. And I, on that note, I think this is the perfect way to end off the podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to check out David. We'll tag everything in the description below. We're live every Tuesday morning at 11.30 a.m. on the UMFM radio station, 101.5 FM. And until next time, peace. Let's go. Woo. Thank you so much, David. Woo.